Welcome to another episode of Twice Told Tales podcast. This this is a special episode together with Hugo from South Africa, who also has a popular uh, podcast about geopolitical affairs. Uh, I'm very happy to welcome you here. Uh, please uh, tell us when you arrived and which cities you have been, and just generally what you have been doing here. Yeah, so um, hello, thank you for having me here. See, people can see I'm in uh, Isfahan at the moment, and it doesn't look that scary outside. Um, but yeah, so just b- background about myself. I'm South African, um, structural engineer, actually specialize in nuclear power, so that adds more layer to complexity of Iran. And my wife happens to be Iranian, so we are visiting family at the moment. I've been here for now uh, one month. I'm going home in uh, two days' time, so it's been a nice experience. It's my second time to Iran. I was here two years ago. Um, basically, we visited uh, mainly family in Esfahan, and then we went on a few uh, on a trip across Iran. So we've been to Bushir, we've been to Shiraz, we've been to Zanjan, we've been to um, Ramsar, where I saw the most radioactive person in the world, and then um, we've been to Tehran a little bit, and then we came back. Um, you know, sort of a round trip to Isfahan, now we're flying back home. Um, so yeah, this to purpose, I suppose, this podcast, just to give the listeners an impression of Iran, because um, as you would probably know better than me, <laughs> Iran is not really well represented in the media at the moment, and um, yeah, th- the idea is just to sort of tell people what I experience over here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm happy. I'm I'm happy that uh, you're enjoying your time, and you didn't find Iran as scary <laughs> as uh, the media has been reporting, especially over the past uh, few months. Uh, before jumping to the reports that you have been hearing over the past few months, especially about protests and everything, I wanted to ask you about that village in the north that you visited, which is the most. Uh, well, how do you call it? Can you explain about that? Yeah, so um, I've read up a lot about radiation on my channel. I talked a lot about it, and I talked about um, the errors in what is called the linear no-threshold model of radiation. So, long story short, is it was a conservative model that was imposed on the nuclear industry by the fossil fuel industry to make nuclear power more expensive, but it never made sense. Um, and one of the places in the world that contradicts this hypothesis is Ramsar. Ramsar experiences 250 millisievert um, per year. The people are being exposed to. They've got radon coming up um, from the ground uh, which makes it one of the most radioactive places on earth and people are living there people seem to be fine now the radiation dose that uh, those people are exposed to is something like 20 times higher than what we considered safe at nuclear power plants okay so and they find they're actually healthier than the average population they've got less cancer than the healthier population and the conclusion is nuclear power or at least nuclear fallout is not as dangerous as we think and yeah people can come to Iran to <laughs> study this <laughs> this aspect so that's a, another reason why Iran is interesting for nuclear um, you know d- d- radiation yeah, yeah. That, that's a very interesting point you made because I remember uh, maybe it was during the highest uh, peaks of the nu- uh, like nuclear talks, there was this conversation. There was this conversation among people in Iran uh, who wanted to be like against uh, Iran having a strong nuclear power uh, program, uh, and they were arguing that it's not healthy for people. You know, 
and that's that's a very interesting uh, observation that you had. Uh, so tell us, tell me about um, your experience or your observation of what has been happening inside Iran, based uh, and in comparison with uh, what you have been hearing. So I want like more details. Which cities you have been to? Where did you see a more, uh, or I would say like a stronger maybe discussion between people, or who do you think cares more about the whole thing? Yeah, so the first thing to understand about Iran is that it's a country with, I think it's now 90 million people, so that's 90 million different opinions, right? Um, first, the, 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 my impression of Iran is the more I stay here, the more, less I understand it, because um, people are very outspoken, so they tend to have very democratic attitudes. Now, that's controversial to say in the West, and the first way you see it is when they eat together family. After family, they always talk about politics. It doesn't matter whether it's a rural town or whether it's a city place like Isfahan, um, eat, families eating together is a very big thing in particularly conservative areas and they always talk about uh, um, politics now what's interesting is when I compare this to say South Africa or to Argentina or to Brazil uh, the Iran is a post-colonial society so they always talk about the revolution things that happened before compare the Shah to now things of that sort and this is normal in post-colonial societies people always debate the nature of the new dispensation it's very similar if you go to South Africa people will debate Nelson Mandela did he do the right thing yes or no that we jump should we have kept apart that shouldn't we things of this sort topics that might be controversial outside of the country is discussed inside of the country this is not this is so this has been my first impression of Iran the second thing is that if you compare the media outside of Iran um, our media gives us a very cartoonish version of Iranian politics which is something that you have a guy called Khamenei most people can't tell you the difference between Khamenei and Khomeini and um, they basically have the idea that he's using the revolutionary guard to put people in the prison and um, they torturing women all day long so that, that's sort of the the impression you get over here but if you actually study Iranian politics, you'd know Iran has got different levels of government, first of all. My impression is that the city-states actually are quite well managed and they're rather independent of what happens in, uh, in Tehran. Um, so, you know, you see cities have different policies, there seems to be a competition for getting the most migrants, there's lots of migration into cities. Um, and most Iranians um, actually work in a bazaar type of thing. They work as, as, as we used to call hawkers. Now, what I found interesting of Iran is, and this is a for uh, developing countries they actually have some sort of recipe to integrate the hawkers into the formal economy now in South Africa when we plan our cities we actually plan suburbs we plan big malls and we sort of push the hawkers out okay uh, we don't think that we're doing it we think that we're creating and developing the economy when Iran I went to a place here called Baharistan which is just outside of Esfahan yeah. new development and you find that um, hey they actually plan for the people to open up their small shops so that's a method of getting them into the formal economy now, when I went to Tehran, the interesting thing is I asked some journalists there, now, are these people the same generation? Is it the same family that's been multi-generation? She said me, no. In Tehran, sometimes this is where the migrants go. The migrants go to the bazaar, and then maybe they've, they, uh, um, you know, success of children, for example, might move into different sectors of the economy. Some go overseas, which is not uncommon in, in uh, developing countries. So there's complexity here. That's sort of the story I want to you know, add to people. Um, a lot of people might have questions, for example, about the women's rights issue. They're the, the hijab things of that sort well you know 
it depends on geography, frankly. If you go to Isfahan, where we're sitting at the moment, um, you know, I might find one or two women not wearing hijab. Nothing's happening to them, by the way. Um, they're walking in the street normally without it. But I would suspect if you question most women here, they would say, yeah, they sometimes believe in it. I met in, I was in Zanjan, which is a highly conservative area, ironically ethnic minority area, because they're yeah. Turks, they, 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 they call them Turks, we would call them Missouris. Um, if you speak to the people there, some of them are highly against the government. And then I asked the woman, they, but do you support the hijab? She's like, yes, because my mother wore it. You know, I support it because this is tradition. So, you know, it, it, saying that women protest for these things is a sign of them hating their government or loving their government. I, I think these are very simplistic narratives being imposed on us. Exactly. Yeah, that's a very good point uh, you made. I think, uh, uh, like, the, uh, the most uh, important problem, I would say, with Western uh, coverage of Iran is this monolithic uh, like coverage that they give that uh, there is like uh, everyone is thinking uh, the same way they have the same idea about the government about the revolution about hijab and everything else uh, I also wanted to ask you did you feel like there were many uh, women or uh, when was the last time you traveled before so I mean t two years ago uh, I was here if I compare it to two years ago um, it's sort of they were already women not wearing a job back then and I would find that time I also traveled a little bit a little bit less than now so that time I was in Zanjan, Isfahan and also Caspian Sea again north of the Alpros mountain women are almost not wearing their job okay Tehran it's interesting in the north of Tehran they're not wearing it in the south they are wearing it okay Zanjan is as conservative back then as it's now and I would argue Isfahan is pretty much as conservative as it is now so has there been changed probably I you know I asked some opinion around some women say yes it's a little bit more some very uh, radical people have told me um, the government will never be the same again the things have changed and then I speak to other people and they say well you know it's not that simple so for example I went to rural Boucher so you have Boucher city and you also have the province I go into those provincial areas I don't see any woman you know I don't even see a woman wearing a, sh a job sometimes they're all wearing Shador okay highly religious areas so you know to, to get a sense of it I think a lot of it is geographic based I think a lot of it depends on class frankly a lot of it depends on um, you know so uh, class is a, it's a very important issue here because if you go to the north of Tehran it's a very rich area I mean I can't afford any of those houses and ironically some of the women there we can say violate quote-unquote the rules tend to be members of the family or of the elites of governments okay so you have this weird situation where the people making the rules it's sometimes their families violating it the most but the large population might actually support these rules exactly. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I remember back in 2009 also, we we would see a lot of uh, the coverage of what was happening inside Iran was mainly North Tehran and portraying that as happening everywhere in Iran. And that's uh, what happens a lot. Like uh, you, like the Western media, mainly uh, like uh, they choose one group of people and they try to portray them as the representing the entire Iranian society and which is obviously not the case in Iran and not the case in anywhere else in the world. Like, uh, there is no society that is absolutely monolithic and especially when there is some sort of uh, democratic operation inside a country you see people practicing their different beliefs and religions and uh, uh, and different levels of practicing that religion actually so what about uh, the protest did you get a chance to talk to people about the protest that happened and what is your observation on that 
Well, again, opinion, opinions vary on that. Um, I've spoken to people, so again, a lot of it comes down to class to me. I've spoken to people who work at universities. Some of them tend to be more westernized in their thinking, if you will. Um, interesting, what came up a lot about them is uh, people, they made an observation, which is they said a few years ago, maybe around the Green Revolution or so, um, there were more than one view in the newspaper, conservative reformist view, and some people say they're hearing less reformist views. That's what I got from university people. Okay, that is sort of a support, you can say, for the protest in a certain sense. Um, spoke to people there in Rasht, for example, I asked some of the people there, do they support it? Yeah, they definitely support the protest, some people want to leave the country, for example. Um, get you to Isfahan and something, some people don't even know there's a protest happening. Okay, <laughs> really, this is, this is uh, shocking. I go to this bazaar, uh, the bazaars, and I speak to people here, which is, again, the majority of people in Iran work as traders. I think they're very neutral about the protest. They happen, so what? If it doesn't happen, it's about my business. What most people actually care about, and this is constant, is inflation. Excellent. I speak to every single person here. They would tell me, a lot of richer people would tell me, look, I tried to build some extra part into my new house. I can't afford it now. Now I have to borrow money from my family members. That has been, that, the constant theme is inflation. The women's issue, yeah, some people have said it. I've spoken to some women, um, again, who said they would like to have a little bit more freedom, individual freedom. There is some of that. But is that representative of the entire society? I'm very skeptical of that because when I asked women, like, so where does the pressure come from? Okay, what, why do you wear it? Almost all of them tell me it's because of my mother. Okay, because of the family. They don't tell me, that, uh, family, mothers in particular. Okay, and then you say, okay, um, now have you spoken to your mother and things about this? And they said, well, you know, it's not a big deal. They sometimes say that. Okay, so it, they don't, some of them don't see it as oppressive, which is something that has to be communicated as well. Um, I don't think it's for me to really tell women what to wear. I think they're going to be very angry at me for doing that. Uh, you know, for the record, my wife wears it in Paris. Sometimes she doesn't. It's, it, it varies. And then you speak to some women, they say, when I'm at home with my family, I wear the hijab. Sometimes even Shador, when they pray, it's Ramadan now. And they say, when I go out with my friends at night, it might be something totally different. So, again, the, the opinions are not. They, 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 it's, there's lots of nuance to these opinions and um, what I would say though is I think the women in Iran are very outspoken about it whatever opinion they might hold and you know this again stands in contrast to what we've been told which is that the women keep quiet and the men are making all the rules over here I found this remarkably even in rural areas where if you travel through rural Africa for example sometimes the women are not allowed to speak okay in some of the villages highly conservative areas it's changing in some areas though but when you find in Iran no there is the vision of labor there is a role for women yes the, some of them have children and they are in the kitchen and things of that sort but don't think they keep quiet to their husbands it's especially in those areas they actually they tell me you need to go work you need to go do this they boss them around so um, <laughs> I, I, I'm very skeptical of what I've been told yeah. yeah that's a very interesting observation thank you for that yeah that's true I mean uh, this is something that I was not realizing as someone who has been uh, I mean I was born here and raised here uh, how women are so outspoken and uh, sometimes bossy in the family and uh, even in some Western countries you don't really see that uh, I mean some uh, family roles are different uh, and maybe there's more equality in some terms but again uh, yeah I mean th those nuances are very important to take into account so what else do you think we need to talk about well, I would say there's a few interesting things that um, I would like to mention is I think, um, you know, because Iran is now applying for BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa thing, I think 
Iran can present what they did to try and defeat rural poverty. I found that quite impressive. If you travel through the countryside here, there's almost full electrification in rural villages. Again, this is not the case in African societies. There's full internet coverage in most of the areas. This is not even the case in most Western societies. Okay, so they have had a recipe to try and address rural poverty. There's still a lot of poverty in Iran, that is true. But Iran, in my sense, is a developing country. It is not a poor third world country. It's something in between. It's got a GDP, I think, the size of Italy. GDP capita is half of South Africa so you know you can put them in that ballpark um, so you know I, I, I've tried to say that there has been a lesson of development and if people are overtly critical against the Iranian government for whatever reason you know they might hold they miss the good things that has happened here as well because you know again the, the society is not monolith and the structures of government is not monolith there is there are democratic aspects in Iranian society and there are auto definitely autocratic aspects okay what I would like to see personally is I think some many people would say a little bit more personal freedom of this way some people say I can't criticize the government that much fine you know you can work towards those things diplomatically but um, I think we must be very skeptical of the especially the, the war narrative that we propose all the time which is Iran is this hostile rogue state that the only solution to war is to bomb them basically exactly. yeah exactly uh, I don't know if you saw this recent uh, interview on Iran International which is uh, we know it's a uh, Saudi funded uh, and the craziest propaganda channel that I have ever seen and it's because it runs in Persian uh, they can get away f uh, with a lot of things that they mention and just recently I saw an inter interview on uh, this channel that they were uh, mentioning that the uh, like the US is saying that the sanctions are not working and the next step that the US has to take like uh, like being very explicit about that is to uh, attack Iran's nuclear facilities so so far they were trying to kind of be like you know hide it or present it as uh, something like not very outward but now they're just uh, talking about it uh, out open and they're totally disregarding what would happen to people um, so I, I wanted to also ask you um, about the sanctions and effect of sanctions. Do you feel the effects of sanctions? Do you see a difference between uh, what you're observing now uh, and two years ago? Well, the people tell me inflation is worse. Okay, personally, they tell me. Uh, do I see a big effect around me? Not really, um, because you know, there's a lot of sanction busters in Iran. I've realized a um, lot of products come in here, so you can find Xboxes, Playstations, anything on these bazaars. They're a little bit highly priced, though. I would say that. Um, you know, the sanctions. I'm. I don't really know what to make of it um, because Iran, as I understand, manufactures a lot of things domestically. That's been the response to sanctions, and that has sort of, you know, buffered the economy a little bit. Um, but certainly the inflation is a big issue and the other issue is remittances. Um, Iranians outside of the country cannot send money back to their family. And this is a big issue for funerals or things of this sort that they you know, need money for humanitarian stuff if you will, uh, to help their family. Um, but on an everyday life prices have definitely gone up. Uh, when I speak to people personally they say yeah they have had to adapt, uh, they had to do things around it. But I found that these bizarre traders are incredible entrepreneurs. They're really capable of you know working their way around the sanctions um, just to, to comment a little bit on the nuclear issue which I think is important um, I think it's important to highlight that the supreme leader in Iran has issued a fatwa against nuclear weapons and that is highly debated in Iran whenever you speak about it they speak about that fatwa that is never mentioned in the Western media 
it is presumed that Iran has a nuclear weapons program. I did an interview with Gareth Porter, I think you spoke to him as well, about the history of this program, and it's, there's a lot of deception going on about it. Iran, as far as I understand, is a deterrence capability, so they have the ability to ramp up nuclear, uh, to make a bomb, but they haven't pursued that goal yet. So, you know, again, this is not being accurately represented, you know, because of this war lobby. Um, and, you know, in terms of the propaganda, um, what is increasingly clear to me is that the Iranian diaspora, especially those who appear on TV, are entirely detached from the ordinary Iranians. Um, many of them have had links to the Shah, or the, they call him the Crown Prince, and they want him back. Now, I can assure you, I've traveled to the Shah's two palaces, in Ram, one in Ramsar and one in Golestan in uh, Tehran. Nobody wants him back. Okay, exactly. <laughs> That's like unanimous over here. Uh, many people, even those against this government, would say, well, if he was so popular, uh, why did they have a revolution? Okay. Which is kind of obvious, and if you look at the size of his palace, it becomes quite clear why there was a revolution. So, you know, that opinion is still being represented in Western media as if it was a great time. Now, um, I've looked at the statistics. During the Shah, only 30% of Iranians could read and write. Today, among younger generations, 100% universal education. So it's just not true that the country was as developed. And I think, you know, if there's one, you know, story that needs to be exposed is that that story has got no legitimacy. Exactly. Yeah, uh, what we see from pictures of development before the revolution and after the revolution is only beaches uh, with uh, where uh, before the revolution there used to be women in bikinis, but now they don't have it. And that's the only picture that they can offer to show uh, that uh, Iran was more developed before. And uh, uh, it's not only the Pahlavis and the uh, monarchs uh, that are uh, like influencing those Iranian diaspora. It's also the MEK, uh, which is hated by Iranians of any political religious uh, inclinations uh, but they are they're working very hard to rebrand the group and uh, they're not using the same uh, names and uh, that's how, that's how they can shape because if they if you mention that they are from the MEK or they f if they appear like next to these people nobody's going to accept uh, uh, the like political oppositions so what is your observation on that well I mean MEK stays in Paris where I am they've got the little shop there in the I think it's the east of Paris if I'm not mistaken um, well you know I went when I was in Bushir in the countryside this stop this subject came up I, I didn't bring it up the the person talking came up and the one person said to me he was there during the revolution he was in the army or something the sort and they buried the MEK the equal and traitors in unmarked graves okay that's quite a strong statement against how the people feel over here so you know again like what this sort of a question I've got to the Western audience though is that who are we asking about what it's what's going on here on because a lot of people that I see you know on our TV it's either you know she's a MEK or friends of Pahlavi uh, of these guys or you've got people in Iran that are so crazily in favor of the government so you know it's like they present the mad side on the one side and then they own stories the alternative but the nuance is lost in the conversation and what I would say to people in the West or think of people in developing countries because you know, South Africa and Brazil doesn't have any beef with Iran politically is to visit here and I think the developing world should actually carry the conversation forward because I don't think the Americans are going to do it and I don't think you know they, they just do stuck into that type of thinking that right. the only option is war of Iran at this stage. Right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, these were really interesting observations uh, and I think a lot of people can find useful. So is there anything else you want to talk about? 
No, I think that's all. I just sort of say it's a last statement. I think people should not be scared to visit the country. Um, you learn a lot. You learn a lot how to bypass the internet. Most Iranians can do it. You learn a lot about, um, you know, converting uh, money to gold, things of that sort. So there's a lot to learn here. And I think people should just come and visit and see for themselves and speak to people that are living in the country before you, you know, make an informed, before you can think you've got an informed opinion about Iran. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your time and uh, for the observations. And yes, I also invite everyone to visit uh, Iran. It's uh, very easy for most of the countries, except for Americans and British, and I guess Canadians now. Uh, but for the for the majority of the countries, I think it's pretty easy to get the visa. A, a lot of you can uh, get the visa on arrival. And we highly recommend you to visit and to see uh, things for yourself and talk to people and see what is happening here. Okay, I think that's about it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah.